Hello, my Rebels. Today, I uh, take you on a journey across Canada, starting with Prince Edward Island, which has not a single case of the virus and not a single person passed away. Good for them. So why are they still on lockdown? We can talk about Newfoundland and Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Ontario. And we go across this great land and I say, why are we still on lockdown? And I give you the data to prove we shouldn't be. I think you'll like the show. Uh, it's better in video format though, and I say that because we show a lot of graphs. I got a lot of graphs for you today, all of them provided by the government, showing we could flatten that curve. There is no curve anymore to flatten. Uh, you can get the video version of the podcast by going to rebelnews.com, paying eight bucks a month for the Rebel News Plus, that's what we call the video version of this podcast, plus Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David Menzies' show. So think about it, eight bucks a month. Uh, I hope you do. Okay, here's the podcast version. Tonight, if there's not a single person in Prince Edward Island with the virus, why is the whole province still on lockdown? It's June 17th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Prince Edward Island, like any small island, is a good place to be if a pandemic breaks out, as in it's surrounded by a kind of moat. It isn't a global hub with an international airport like Toronto or Vancouver. So as long as you can stop people from coming onto your island, you're set. It's a small place, too, to begin with, just about 150,000 people. You know, Taiwan is an island, too, but with more than 23 million people on it and hundreds of daily international flights. You know, last year, 14 million passengers flew between Taipei, the capital of Taiwan, and China, including Hong Kong and Shanghai. So pretty much the opposite of PEI in terms of being an international hub, right? And yet Taiwan managed to avoid the virus almost completely also. They had a grand total of just seven deaths from the virus. They never shut down their entire society because they didn't trust the garbage advice from the World Health Organization. They were kicked out of the World Health Organization by Communist China that hates Taiwan. So they had to use their own brains. So they put in tough quarantines for people flying into Taiwan from China. But they let the rest of the island population live freely. Uh, they quarantined the sick and the risky, and they let everyone else go about their lives. Taiwan's sort of crowded, certainly more than Prince Edward Island. The idea of social distancing doesn't really work there. So they wear masks, clean, inexpensive masks made in Taiwan, not junky, cheap, worthless masks imported from China. Anyways, I tell you that to point out the borders work, and that even a country as integrated with China in terms of travel did great. They just ignored the World Health Organization, and they focused on people at risk. <laughs> Unlike our foolish governments here that have cracked down on moms at the playground. So back to Prince Edward Island. Keyword, island. No huge international airport connected directly to Hong Kong and Shanghai and the like. So they were spared the ravages of the virus. No one in the province died. Not one person. And that is great. Here is the simple one-page virus details status page for the province. There are no fancy graphs because no one died. A grand total of 27 people got the cough, 
but all of them got better. You really can't make a lot of charts and graphs with just 27 little points. So they tell us what they can. 11 were women and 16 were men. And they're almost running out of things to talk about, aren't they? There's really not a lot to say. 27 people got sick. They all got better. No one died. And there is currently not a single case on the island. But look what their official public health predictions were just two months ago. Here's their April modeling, done by all the smartest people they could find. Look at page 11 here. They predicted a best-case scenario, best-case scenario of 120 people in the hospital and a worst-case scenario of 14,000 people in the hospital in on an island of just 150,000. On page 14, they predicted as many as 900 deaths from the disease, and certainly no less than nine in their absolute best case scenario. Like I say, no one died, only 27 people got the cough, they're all better now. So it's done, right? I mean, it is done, no one has the virus. You can't travel to PEI, they put a ban on outsiders, by which they mean fellow Canadians from other provinces, but look at this. Uh, here are their restaurant rules. Maximum 50 people in a restaurant, People at a bar have to sit six feet away from each other. No more than six people at a dinner table together, even on a patio. And my favorite, music volume should be kept low. <laughs> They're still banning any indoor gatherings of 15 people or more, even banning 20 people or more outside. This would apply to personal gatherings, large families having visitors or playing frisbee in the park, and organized gatherings such as worship services, organized sports and recreation, day camps, events including weddings, funerals, burials, and graduations. So I say again, just in case you didn't hear me, there is not a single person on the entire island with the cough. Not one case. But you can't have a funeral with more than 20 people at it. And if you're in a church service, so it's indoors, I'll lower that number to 15 people if I'm reading this right. I guess 16 people if you include the recently departed. So why? Why? Because some professor says so? Some bureaucrat says so, but some, some pundit says so. You are hiding under the bed, but the monster is gone and the lights are turned on. The monster was never even there, but you literally have an army of bureaucrats checking how loud the music is in restaurants, bringing a tape measure to bars, going to churches to threaten people. It's over. It actually isn't over because that implies it was here to begin with. There never was, at least not in PEI. The same number of people died in PEI from Ebola. The same number of people died from the bubonic plague, died from leprosy, as in no one did. But they're still living like they're in a bomb shelter. Now, that's just one example of one province. I could do this for every province. Uh, let's look at friendly Manitoba. Population, 1.3 million. Um, the data also shows no individuals in hospital or intensive care. Five active cases and 292 individuals who have recovered from COVID-19, and the number of deaths due to COVID-19 remains at seven. So in Manitoba, almost 10 times the population of the PEI, they did have seven people pass away, and I'm sorry for that. But there are only five people in the whole province who have the virus now, and none of them are in the hospital. They're just at home watching Netflix. Five people in the whole province, a very big province. The entire province is still on lockdown, though. Here's a fun map I found on Reddit. It has various European countries transposed over the map of Canada. Manitoba is so huge. Not even most Manitobans really know how huge it is because they're mainly in the city of Winnipeg, and they don't venture to the farthest flung regions of that massive province. Imagine the entire province still being on lockdown because five people are sick at home with a cough. 
Uh, here's neighboring Saskatchewan. There are three people in the hospital in that entire province. Two in Saskatoon and one in the north. Three people in a huge province. It's bigger than France or Spain or Japan or Germany by, by size. Three people in the hospital. By the way, on their darkest day, back on May 8th, there were a grand total of 19 people in the hospital. That was how bad it got on the worst day. The whole point was to flatten the curve, flatten the curve. That's what they kept saying. There is no curve. It's three guys at home. And they're probably going to be fine. Uh, sorry, three guys in the hospital. They're probably going to be fine. Three people. Here's Newfoundland stats. There is one active case in the entire province. One guy. And he's not bad. He's just, he's just at home. No one's in the hospital. They had a grand total of three people pass away across the province of 520,000 people. That, I mean, it's not good. I don't want anyone to die. Though I know that we all are going to die one day of something. It's not good to die from this virus or from anything else, but three people in a province of half a million is not a public health crisis. One of the nerve-wracking things about Newfoundland, if you ever go on their highways, is how many moose there are. There are more than 100,000 moose in Newfoundland, and they wander around, and they wander onto the roads. They're not really scared. And every year, people die when they run into a moose, because the moose's center of gravity is high enough that, you know, your car knocks out their legs, but their massive bodies just crash right through your front windscreen. It's, it's awful. Here's a story in the National Post. Newfoundland driver hits moose while looking at another driver who hit moose and three other moose crashes. I won't read that story to you, but you get my point. I'm not making light of things. I'm just trying to put things in a statistical perspective. Hitting a moose is a greater threat to Newfoundlanders than this virus. So like I said, there's one guy at home. Just one guy. I'm going to call him Frank just because it seems a bit impersonal to describe one individual person in a statistic. So let's say Frank's at home in St. John's, just watching some TV and ordering in takeout and passing the time. Just, just one guy in the whole mass of problems. It's huge. Newfoundland is huge. It's bigger than Poland. It's twice the size of Greece. It's got that whole Labrador part. So according to the government, the one guy who's at home in bed, he's in eastern region, that's the part that includes St. John's. So, so look at how huge that province is. You've got one guy at home in St. John's. One guy. Frank. So Frank's at home in St. John's. And you've got people in Labrador on lockdown. You've got people in Cornerbrook and Gander and Twillingate in, in a lockdown because Frank might sneeze over there in St. John's at home or something. So here's what everyone in the whole province has to do until Frank gets better. Actually, that's not true. Like I say, no one in PEI has the cough anymore, but they're still under lockdown anyways. But in Newfoundland, where Frank is, there's gatherings, including funerals, burial, burials, and weddings, are expanded to, oh, 20 people, as long as physical distancing can be maintained. Visitations are permitted with restrictions. Wakes remain prohibited. So no wakes, guys. <laughs> Sorry, you know, because of Frank. Large playgrounds in municipal parks must not be used. Why? Is Frank there? Gym and fitness facilities, yoga studios, tennis and squash facilities, arenas, dance studios, and performance spaces remain closed. Because um, I guess Frank is still sick. But the good news is he's finished Tiger King on Netflix and he's moving on to the new Marvel movie. I'll keep you posted on Frank, guys. Bars, lounges, cinemas remain closed. You know, it's Frank. He's got the cough. 
better not open any bars in a province literally built on sitting around a bar talking with friends. There's no rhyme or reason for this. There's no science here. There's no evidence, no policy. I could, I could go through every single province the same way, including the biggest ones. I'm in the city of Toronto here. Here's the information for the greater Toronto area. There's more than 6 million people in Canada's biggest city. Look at that graph called Cases by Episode Dates. It peaked on April 13th with 303 cases. Now, there's some delay in reporting statistics, but the numbers for the last four days have been 41, 25, 8, and 6. Look at this chart, which is actually more important. Number of COVID-19 cases that ever resulted in hospitalization, intensive care unit admission, intubation, and deaths by age group. So that's actually really the chart that counts. No one under 20 has died in this big city. Zero. Now, one person aged 20 to 29 passed away. I'm very sorry to hear about that. One person aged 30 to 39. Sorry to hear about that. And seven people between the ages of 40 and 49. So a grand total of nine people under the age of 50 have died in the greater Toronto area throughout this whole thing. No restaurants have been allowed to open, no barbers, no gyms, no schools, no playgrounds. Everything's literally under lock and key. Why? Flatten the curve, they said. That, that didn't mean you wouldn't get sick, by the way. Flatten the curve just means all those models I've shown you so that the peak number of people who, who would need a hospital bed on, bed on the worst day would not exceed the number of hospital beds. That's what flatten the curve means. That's why they, the U.S. Navy sailed a hospital ship to L.A. and New York so they could take the overflow of patients so that hospitals wouldn't be overwhelmed. Those boats were never even used. In province after province in Canada, there was not a single person in the hospital. The curve isn't flattened. There is no curve to flatten. There's no curve anymore. The whole premise for the lockdown which we were told would be two weeks, was to not overwhelm the hospitals. Hospitals are so empty, bored nurses and doctors have taken to making, making little TikTok videos in empty hospital hallways while you and your life are shut down. Look, I know why politicians love this. It makes them feel important. They can take credit for the low death toll, saying that it was their decisions that saved your life. No. By their own models, they clearly admit they have nothing to do with it. They have no clue what's going on. They love the limelight and the importance. Public health officials love being able to treat Canadians as guinea pigs for their plans. Public health doctors are the authoritarians of the medical profession. The disgraced Theresa Tam says what so many of them secretly think. I think the public has to know this is one of the worst case scenarios in terms of an infectious disease outbreak in that their cooperation is sought. If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and, and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on their uh, arms have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken. Yeah, not today, Kami. There's no medical reason for the country to be in shutdown. There is no medical reason for Parliament not to be sitting. There's no medical reason for why the civil service is still being paid but not working. Just getting a huge bonus springtime vacation. There is no medical reason why working class Canadians are being banned from earning a living. Oh, uh, yeah, there's also no medical reason why Trudeau has ordered 37 
million syringes for a rushed, hasty Bill Gates United Nations vaccine. Other than uh, they're listening to Theresa Tam, who works for the UN's World Health Organization. Yeah, there is devastation here and there is sickness here, but it is not caused by the virus. It is caused by politicians. They have become the pandemic. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, um, the Conservative Party of Canada has its leadership race underway. Uh, it was paused, as so many things in life were, by the pandemic, and then it was put in reverse by the party itself that kicked out not one, but two, or maybe even more of the candidates who were running for it, just disqualifying people for some inside baseball reasons. I say let the people speak. Well, four people managed to get through the uh, very odd leadership committee that really is handpicked. I, I don't like it one bit, but four have made it uh, this far in the Hunger Games, and they will be debating tonight and tomorrow night. Um, bizarrely, but not surprisingly, neither the CBC nor the so-called private broadcaster Global News has decided to run these leadership debates for the Conservatives, even though they both ran the leadership debates for the Liberal Party. Isn't that odd? You'd think it would be an interesting political moment, especially for a political channel like CBC, but they don't really find it interesting. In fact, as you may recall, they're actually suing the Conservative Party, the CBC itself is suing the Conservative Party. Why would it cover the Conservative Party and give it positive press coverage for free? It's too busy covering Justin Trudeau's morning press conferences. Well, it's happening tonight en Francais and tomorrow in English. And tomorrow night, you can watch the live stream here at The Rebel. And I will be here and we'll have other Rebel personalities and we'll sort of give you our play-by-play -play thoughts on the conservative debate, so we won't be ignoring it. We'll just be covering tomorrow's English language version. But uh, joining us now from downtown Toronto, where the debates will be held, is our friend Kian Bexty. Kian, great to see you. You're on the street talking to me via Skype from your phone. Um, I can't help but notice that behind you uh, is the Telltale building. That's the CBC headquarters. I can make out the logo and their Telltale uh, red cross windows there. You're not defecting to the CBC, are you? They haven't no. hired you away from Rebel News, have they? No, no, no. They, uh, you know, the, the conservative debate was just placed directly across the street. I thought it was a great background. I think the conservative party might have just wanted to make it super easy. Uh, for the CBC to make sure they had all their cameras here. They have, I, and I, I shouldn't be too hard on them, they have been quite nice and gracious uh, and and sort of accommodating myself and my cameraman, Efron, uh, while we've been trying to ask questions. They even gave us our own little uh, badge, uh, Rebel Media for the Conservative Party Leadership Convention here, uh, leadership debate. They, they've, they've been great, so I shouldn't be too hard on them. The only one person has been really upset that we've been here and it was peter mckay and his staff uh you'll see the video i'm sure he was running with his tail between his legs when we were asking asking very basic questions that we asked of every other candidate uh, but peter mckay was just too scared to answer that's really weird now you've said a lot there let's watch that peter mckay clip and then we'll come right back to you take a look at this would i be able to ask you a few questions 
we're just wondering if you, Derek Sloan talked to us as well. We're just wondering if you could answer a few questions. You've been dodging us throughout this whole campaign. We're wondering if you could tell us, do you think the RCMP is systemically racist? You're laughing about dodging rebel media. Can I get your assistant's name? Yeah, I'm, I'm Chisholm Pache. Laughing. I am indeed. Peter, could you tell us, is the RCMP systemically racist? Peter, on World Milk Day, you sort of giggled in a picture with you drinking milk. I'm wondering if you're just trying to recreate no, the I failed policies. I'm just wondering, why are you trying to recreate the failed policies the, of Andrew Scheer? After the debate, yeah, I believe you're accredited. Not sure why Peter, sorry, why are you trying to recreate? Why are you trying to recreate failed policies of Andrew Scheer? Peter, why aren't you answering basic questions? He's going to. Are you scared? Oh yeah, scared. That's right. I know. You're going to do immediate. I'm really not interested in you. I'm interested in Peter. Um, I, I should tell you that Peter McKay, I saw it with my own eyes, in fact you can see uh, the background footage here, our friend David Menzies accosted Peter McKay months ago and Peter McKay was extremely nervous, his staff tried to stop it and McKay did promise uh, a proper uh, conversation with Rebel News, he has not kept that promise. I mean, Kian, you can be tough and you can be a little bit of a bulldog, but if, you, if the leader of, if the would-be leader of the Conservative Party and the would-be Prime Minister of Canada can't handle a few questions from you, how's he going to stand up to Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin? I, I mean, and I don't even think your question was that surprising or that unfair. How is he going to stand up to Vladimir Putin and how is he going to stand up to Xi Jinping? That's a good question, but how is he going to be able to stand up to the CPC? If he can't answer straightforward, uh, not even not even gotcha questions from me, they were just very normal questions that viewers and party members want to know answers to. How are they going? How is he going to respond to the CBC when they are aggressively uh, twisting his words and and uh, manipulating the story and the narrative to make him look bad? Uh, he's just not going to be able to stand up to the media party if he cowers and runs like a scared dog when we ask him very basic questions. Yeah, I don't get that. I mean. I, I think I understood why Andrew Scheer didn't talk to Rebel News. I, I think it's because I asked him too many prickly questions about his immigration policy. But more than that, he just didn't want Rosemary Barton to be mean to him. In the end, she was super mean to him throughout the campaign, including suing him. So I don't think appeasing the CBC works. They appease the CBC so much, but as we just discussed, CBC can't even walk the one block from their head office to the debate to cover it. Why are you appeasing people who hate you? I just don't even get it, Kian. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. But it, I, I mean, there's better stories here than Peter McKay. Uh, Aaron O'Toole came out and greeted me by name. Uh, said, hello, Kian, how are you? And, and then we had a conversation. I asked him the same question. And his answer was, I mean, as much as you could expect. Uh, he says he supports people in uniform. He wouldn't take a knee, that kind of thing. Basically, the, the answer every conservative would have wanted and the answer that Peter McKay could have easily given but decided not to. Derek Sloan gave a very similar answer uh, and actually just an hour before we asked that question, he announced that he would label Antifa as a terrorist organization if he was prime minister. Uh, so he actually went a little bit of a step further uh, saying that he would never take a knee 
Uh, and, and on top of that, he would label Antifa a terrorist organization. Leslie Lewis, though, she actually skipped the, de the debate prep entirely. So we weren't actually able to ask her questions. The same question we asked everyone else. She just skipped it. Uh, and was, we were told that she was studying at home. She preferred that over uh, spending time in the studio. It wasn't an, uh, an obligation. She didn't have to show up. Uh, it was just a sort of a voluntary thing. She just opted not to and opted to study. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear from her later. Well, I'm encouraged that you had a conversation with Aaron O'Toole uh, because until uh, today, he too has been avoiding Rebel News. I look forward to seeing your full report on that. And from what you've just said, you were pleased with the answer. And I suppose it is a small victory that you yourself have been accredited at the party event. You're wearing an official Conservative Party lanyard. Um, from what you, you just said, I've, I've got to admit they've been friendly to me. I'm very glad to hear it because I thought it was an enormous strategic mistake stake by the Conservative Party itself, let alone for uh, Andrew Scheer, to marginalize the leading independent media company in this country who has such an overlap. Our viewers are conservative supporters. It's just probably an 80% overlap, the second probably being the PPC party. So I, I take what you've said as a lot of good news today. Good news that you're on the scene, you're flying around again, the pandemic lockdown's sort of over. Good news in that you're getting to politicians and smoking them out. I, I mean, Peter McKay, if he can't take on you, he's not going to be able to take on uh, his real opponents. I'm glad Aaron O'Toole met with you. Glad Der Derek Sloan, we've spoken to him several times, and it, it sounds like he has interesting things to say. I'm really pleased with uh, what you've done so far, and the debates haven't even happened yet, so I'd call it a success already. Yes, for sure. We'll be watching closely to see uh, how this debate turns out, how well they can speak French, if anyone actually cares about that. Uh, I know lots of folks here in Ontario seem to care about whether or not a candidate speaks French that's a little foreign to me from Alberta. That seems to be what everyone is interested in right now, is how well they're going to be able to just communicate on a basic level. Uh, so we'll see, and of course the reports will be sure to follow. Right on. And just to remind our viewers, uh, the live stream tonight is en français and tomorrow night they'll have the debates in English and we'll be doing a live stream coverage of that. Now, Kian, be careful. You're near the CBC there. Uh, there are thousands of government journalists lurking. Um, now, a lot of them are working from home because they're worried about the Rona. But it wouldn't surprise me if just lurking around the corner is some government journalist who is uh, has a love-hate relationship with you. They, they're jealous that you have the freedom to, to be an independent reporter and you can say what you want about the Prime Minister. They also hate you for that same reason. So you might see some emotional outbursts there. You might see some sort of shrieking uh, that you haven't been deplatformed yet. Um, so just be careful. You're in a really bad neighborhood. Uh, the one block around the CBC office is an extremely bad neighborhood. I rarely venture there myself. Last word to you, Kian. Yeah, no, you know, I, I was uh, excited to see that there was one journalist there when we were uh, speaking to Derek Sloan. They quickly left. Um, so who knows if they're actually going to show up and cover this. I'm disappointed to hear that they're not carrying it live. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we will be carrying the English debate live. And who would want to watch anything else? Yeah, it's a good point is why bother covering it? It's not like... It's not like conservatives would tune into the CBC to watch it. You're right. So we'll just eat their lunch one more time. All right, Kian, thanks for joining us via Skype. Be careful out there in the rough streets of Toronto, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right, there you have it, Kian Bexty. Boy, it makes me nervous, him standing that close to uh, 
CBC uh, World Headquarters, what do you think? But uh, he's doing the job that the government journalists won't or are forbidden to do. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back to my monologue last night. Paul writes, Trudeau is the only one who wants this worthless UN seat. I hope he fails. Yeah, you know, I said before that I don't know if Trudeau actually wanted to be prime minister. I think he probably would have been a better fit for something uh, more shallow, like the lieutenant governor, lieutenant governor, where you just go around and cut ribbons and stuff. Governor general, I mean. Um, but a lot of powerful people said, we expect you to go all the way because we have valuable interests that we care about. I think it's the same thing with this UN seat. Um, there's a lot of extremely powerful forces that want Trudeau in there. Listen, he'd love it too, um, because it's international travel, uh, no accountability, huge expense accounts, uh, mindless applause. He gets to play the, you know, pick up the white man's burden, Rudyard Kipling role. Um, but I think it's more than that. It's China sure wants it, Iran sure wants it, Russia sure wants it. So I think there's a lot of anti-Western entities that would love to have a dupe like uh, Trudeau in there. So he might not want it, but China sure does. Anna writes, he's been a good puppet. He'll get a seat. He's been pushing UN values as Canadian values for years. He denies we even have a distinct culture in Canada. Well, that's the thing, is typically, you know, the Western bloc stands with itself, and then there's the non-aligned in the third world, and et cetera, et cetera. So this Western bloc seat, it's uh, Canada running against Ireland and Norway, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you would think the Western countries would sort of stick together for freedom, democracy, rule of law, stuff like that. But I think all the bad guys in the world are going to say, oh my God, we can infiltrate, we can have our seats, the third world seat, the, the Muslim seat, the Chinese seat, whatever, and also get one of the democracy seats because Trudeau will give it, to, it'll be an inside job. On my interview with Andrew Lawton, Sherry writes, I, like millions of others, grew up watching and listening to CBC. It was literally the only television channel our family had for many years. CBC was a trusted part of our lives. It has morphed slowly and insidiously into something else that I cannot recognize any longer, even more so since the true years, Trudeau years began. Oh, CBC Kids News. There's no such thing as Kids News. Kids News is, what's the latest cartoon? Kids News is Paw Patrol. Of course, Paw Patrol's banned because it's too pro-police. Now they're just pushing crazy stuff on kids, as we saw yesterday. Yeah, I remember growing up in a household, we had three TV channels, one of which was the CBC. Even then, I could feel that condescending, sneering tone. It's even gotten worse. Well, my friends, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.